You're listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church, where friends become family. For more information, log on to www.fbcqc.org. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans, the 12th chapter. We're in a continuing series here on Sunday mornings called Going Bold. And again, I appreciate so much how many of you have uh, accepted the Going Bold Challenge. And for the last uh, 35 or so days, you have accepted a daily challenge and done your best to, uh, to meet that challenge, uh, however big or small it may be. And uh, uh, what an exciting time. During the course of this series of messages, we have uh, hopefully made one thing crystal clear, and that is the importance of knowing that you're heading in the right direction. There are really just two roads in life. One road that leads to life everlasting, another road that leads to destruction. You're on one or the other. Uh, you're heading in one direction or the other. You say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are on a road that leads to destruction because in your own righteousness, in your own best efforts, you can't possibly save yourself. Uh, and God's Word is clear about that. And so uh, the most important thing uh, is knowing that you are on the right path, that you are heading in the right direction. If you're uncertain, uh, ask yourself this question. Was there ever a time in my life that I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Now, some would tell you that you have to pray a certain prayer, that you have to say certain words. That's not necessarily the case. You do have to come to a realization that you can't save yourself. Okay, if you think, well, I'll do it kind of on my own, I'll do more good than bad, those sorts of things, uh, that's not the gospel. Uh, the gospel is Christ-centered. It takes us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, today, uh, today's a special day for me. I celebrate my 39th. Spiritual birthday today. Thanksgiving has always been uh, an incredibly special time for me. It was at a midweek service, Thanksgiving Eve, uh, that I committed my life to Jesus Christ, 1974, 39 years ago. Uh, and with that, I've had the immense joy and pleasure of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ for over half of that time. And um, every day, I thank God for my salvation. I thank God that He made a way uh, for an eight-year-old kid to come to faith in Christ. Uh, that I have not had to spend my entire lifetime trying to be good enough. Uh, I am thankful that because of what Jesus Christ did for me, through His shed blood at Calvary, I have been made acceptable to a holy God. Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in this series, we have also established a good definition for going bold. What exactly is that? What does it mean to go bold for the cause of Christ? Uh, we're not talking about an obnoxious, in-your-face uh, sort of thing. We're not talking about being offensive to those around us. Uh, we are talking about an unashamed commitment to Christ that results in radical obedience without regard for personal comfort or convenience. Now, I don't know of anybody who better personified that than the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about His life. You think about His earthly ministry. You think about what He accomplished in, in really a relatively short period of time here on this earth. He came, took upon Himself the form of a servant, Scripture says, came in, in, in the flesh... It's the incarnation, we call it. We're, we're going to be celebrating that here in just a few weeks, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that, that Jesus Christ did not begin at Christmas, right? Uh, 
Now, he's eternal, uh, but he came in the flesh so that he might live a perfect, sinless life, ultimately to go to the cross to lay down that, that spotless, sinless, perfect life for us, to be our substitute. It's called the substitutionary death of Jesus. And so he, in a very bold way, came, of course, not making a commitment to himself, but to the demands of the Father, the Heavenly Father, uh, sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to live among sinful men, to ultimately go to the cross. That was radical obedience. You remember when Jesus was praying in the garden and was agonizing over what lay ahead. And, of course, everything in his life pointed toward that moment, to that point in time. That's why Jesus would often say in his earthly ministry, uh, in, in, in some of the earlier days of, of his time with his followers and his disciples, he would say, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. When the fullness of time had come. And then he makes it crystal clear that time has come. Now it's time. Now it's time for me to go lay down my life to do what I came to do. And while Jesus did many things, in fact, Scripture says if all of it were, were written down, there are not, not books to contain all that Jesus did in His time here. But the sole reason for which He came was to seek and to save those who were lost, Scripture says. And so He committed Himself to a radical obedience to the Father. That's why He prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Radical obedience. And He did that without regard for personal comfort or convenience. I can assure you that it was in no way comfortable for Jesus to die on the cross. I can assure you it was not a convenience sort of uh, endeavor. Now, we've used Acts chapter 4 as kind of the basis for this series of messages. It's where we find Peter and John. Um, they had, of course, had to make a decision. They had to live out their commitment. Uh, scripture tells us there that it was because of their boldness that uh, those around them marveled. And they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Uh, it, was, it was obvious that they had been with Jesus and they made a decision in that time that resulted in radical obedience. They were told to stop teaching, stop preaching in the name of Jesus, cut it out. But they had to make a decision that they would not listen to man, that they were going to meet the demands of, uh, of their God. And so uh, that, that resulted in radical obedience. And we've discovered that consistent radical obedience, a consistent walk in the right direction equals holiness. To be holy is to be spiritually healthy. And while we are in a passionate pursuit of holiness and Christ-likeness, we must also, at the same time, go bold in fleeing, resisting temptation. That's what we talked about last week. James made it clear to us that every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And, and, and then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So it's a, it's a radical obedience. It's a radical pursuit of Christ's likeness. And it's also a, it's a, it's a radical fleeing from and resisting temptation. Now if we look at Romans chapter 12, many would describe the book of Romans as uh, the great mountain range of Christian doctrine. That being the case, Romans chapter 12 is arguably one of the greatest peaks on that mountain range. It's in verses 1 and 2 that we find the familiar words of the Apostle Paul where he said this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Going bold in service and sacrifice. We live in a postmodern world. A postmodern world. A world that is consumed with a desire for convenience and comfort. Uh, you think about, those of you who've, who've, who've been on this earth a bit longer than, than some of the rest of us, think about how much things have changed just in your lifetime. You see, to a lot of us younger folks, the term icebox really doesn't mean anything. What is an icebox? Now, you may have heard it called that by your, your ancestors, but we really don't know what an icebox is. I've seen pictures, however, of a guy with a big pick-like thing, and he's carrying a block of ice into someone's house to put it in their icebox. Now, anybody here still doing that? Anybody here still, I mean, really using an icebox? I mean, truthfully? Pro probably not. All right, most of you have a refrigerator now, right? One that plugs into the wall and there's refrigerant. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's not an icebox in the truest sense. Now, it may make ice, but it's not an icebox. Okay, how many of you older folks grew up with a microwave? Hey, I'm 47. I didn't grow up with a microwave, all right? All right, how many of you older folks grew up with a remote control television? Now, some of you can remember when there were no televisions, right? All right. How many of you this morning, how many of you got up and had to go outside to go to the bathroom? Anybody? Pro probably not. Probably not. Now, if you did, it's by your own choice, and that's just between you and God, okay? If that's how you do things, that's, that's great. But I, I'm going to doubt very many in our church still use an outhouse, okay? Think things have changed. Why have many of those things changed? Well, what is it that brought about change in so many of the, of the, way, the, the ways that we do life? In large part because of convenience. I can just imagine it wasn't real convenient on a cold wintry morning to get up out of, your, out of your nice, toasty, warm bed and have to go outside to use the bathroom. Not, not real convenient. There are so many things, I mean, that we take for granted. You get up and flip a switch and, boy, lo and behold, there's light. You don't have to go and trim the wick anymore and add oil to the lantern and all the things that people had to do years ago. So, so many of the things that we enjoy in life. How many of you imagined just, I mean, 30, 40 years ago that you'd be able to walk around with one of these devices and just make a phone call you know, wherever you were? As long as you had service, right? I mean, who would have ever imagined? Who, who would have ever imagined that there would be a thing called Facebook where you could, I mean, look at your pictures, your friend's pictures within a matter of seconds from the time that they uploaded them to their wall. You could look at them and you could respond to that image. And I mean, that's Jetsons kind of stuff, right? I mean, I remember as a kid watching the Jetsons and thinking, oh my God, that is so amazing, so futuristic. And some of you ladies are still looking for that robotic maid, right, that will come and clean your home. I mean, how convenient would that be? That would be wonderful. I mean, there are so many things that we enjoy in life that are really things that we call modern conveniences. And you take them for granted until you don't have them. We had to replace our microwave in the last year uh, the other night, and we're pretty proud of the new microwave that we got. We didn't spend just an incredible amount of money on it, but, but uh, 
it, it was a pretty nice one. We went down to Sears and got a Kenmore model. You know, we, we thought we were going to upgrade just a little bit and, and get a pretty nice uh, microwave. Well, the other night, Christy was going to bake a potato in the microwave, and it just went, mm, nothing. Done. Finished. She thought, well, may, maybe I blew a breaker or something. No, it wasn't the breaker. It's the microwave. It's down. So naturally, it's under warranty, of course, thank the Lord. And, and so we call the place, and they're going to come fix it. Well, well, the guy has to spend, you know, a couple of hours determining exactly what the problem is. And then he's got to order the parts. And then he's got to come back sometime in December to fix our microwave. Do you know how inconvenient that is for us at our house right now? My daughter loves microwave popcorn, okay? No. No, and the only way we could make popcorn now would be like the old-fashioned way, like to pour oil in a skillet of some sort and put the kernels in there. I mean, how old-fashioned would that be? How inconvenient would that be? That we couldn't have a big bowl of fresh popped popcorn within a matter of minutes. So many of the things that we have nowadays are a matter of convenience. How many restaurants have a drive through You drive, never have to get out of your car. Just push a button and tell them what you want, and they deliver it right there into your car. And you can drive. I mean, it's amazing the number of things that we have that are just really a matter of convenience. We sometimes call them creature comforts. Think about how many things that you might do just for comfort's sake. Just for comfort's sake. And how much attention we give to creature comfort. Hey, if you don't believe that's true, you ought to try to be the facilities manager in a Baptist church and try to get the temperature just right for a hundred some people in a room this size. I guarantee you this morning, there are some of you who think it's too cool in here. And there are some of you who think it's too hot in here right about now. And there are some of you maybe that don't really care. But the truth be told, it's all about our comfort, right? We wouldn't know what to do in 21st century America if we had to go to a place of worship like, like they go to in other parts of the world. Some of you find yourself a bit concerned that our pews are too low and the backs are a bit hard. But can you imagine having to sit on just a, a piece of wood? It's held up by a couple of, a, a couple of stumps, basically. Can you imagine going to a place of worship where you had to stand for the entire worship service? Now, not just during the song service when Trent's leading, okay? No, we're talking about the entire time. Can you imagine? Can, can you imagine having to walk for a couple of miles just to get to your place of worship? I dare say that the average American would not do those things. Would refuse. We can find every reason in the world, every excuse in the world to not do some of the things we know deep in our hearts we should really do. All because it's an inconvenience or because it's uncomfortable for me. We're just programmed that way. We're wired that way. I, I never forget a meeting I went to uh, now, what, 14 years ago almost, in preparation for Y2K. Y'all remember when Y2K was a big deal? I mean, the, everything was going to change at the new millennium and computers were going to shut down. Airplanes were not going to be able I mean, all these things that people were saying could possibly happen. And so there was a group of pastors. I was at that time pastoring in Alice, Texas, who decided to have a meeting to just kind of discuss some of the scenarios that might possibly happen and how we as churches could minister to people in the event of a, of a crisis. 
And so what were we going to do? And so we began to, one of the things that we did in that meeting was we were cataloging some of the resources that we had. Like who had water wells? Okay, if, if the municipal water supply was cut off and so forth, how would we get water? Well, some people said, well, I've got a water well. Okay, well, how are you going to get water out of the well? And this guy said, well, I've got a tractor with a PTO on it, and we can hook that up to then. I mean, we were kind of putting our heads together and saying, okay, how would, we, how would we do this? How could we utilize all of these resources to, to serve this community in the event of a crisis? We were not going overboard with it. We were not going to set up a warehouse or anything like that, but... In the event that we were, you know, to have to go for a few days or perhaps weeks without, without water, electricity, what would we do? One of the guys in the church, in, in that meeting, one of the pastors who pastored a predominantly uh, senior adult congregation, he said, oh, my folks will be fine. And that got everybody's attention. We were all like, tell us how this is true. How, how is it your true? He said, oh, the majority of my folks, they grew up during the Depression. They won't have any problem." Now, somebody said, now, wait just a minute. While that may be true, and those people in your church probably have far more grit than our generation does, and, and, and far more fortitude than our... For, those people have, since that time, been conditioned to enjoy certain modern conveniences. Their bodies have not grown accustomed to living in 110 degree temperatures or freezing temperatures without heat or without air conditioning and those sorts of things. We, we grow accustomed to those things. Creatures of comfort. And so as a result of all this, living in a postmodern world with all of our technology and our gadgets and our appliances and all of the things that we, that we all enjoy, as a result of that, words like sacrifice and suffering and service are greatly misunderstood. In fact, uh, I found myself one time jokingly saying at, a, at an ice cream social, this is a number of years ago now, somehow, some way, someone failed to bring Bluebell ice cream. I don't know how that could possibly happen. I, I mean, how, how is it that you could have an ice cream and there not be any Bluebell ice cream? All right, the, the entire time I was at Bible College up north, you couldn't buy Bluebell ice cream north of the Mason-Dixon line. So there was like these wannabe brands like Blue Bunny. and I, I mean, you know, they were just knockoffs. They were fakes. Obviously not the real thing. And I sometimes found myself saying stuff like, yeah, I'm up here in the north just suffering for Jesus. I was joking when I said that. But that's pretty much the context in which in our modern day world, we utilize those kinds of words. Few of us really know what it is to suffer, and particularly to suffer for the cause of Christ. And I have no doubt that some of you know what it is to suffer physically. Every day for you is a day marked by pain. And it's difficult for you every day to get out of bed and to, 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 to motivate yourself to do the things that you've got to do every day. I, I recognize that. But few of us, few of us know what it is to really and truly suffer for the cause of Christ. Uh, you, you may have been called a, a Jesus freak at work a time or two because you, you mentioned your, your faith or, or you invited somebody to church and they called you a radical or something. But that's pretty much the extent of our suffering for the cause of Christ. So that's why it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around the concept that Paul introduces here to, in Romans chapter 12. He's making a case. 
In fact, some of the terminology that you find here, Romans chapter 12, is, is borrowed from the court of law. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I, I plead with you. I earnestly urge you. He's making a case. He's pleading his case is what he's doing. I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, and he says, by the mercies of God. This is his case. He's saying, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. That's essentially what he's saying there. I plead with you. I urge you. I beg you. By the mercies of God. In light of what we've just remembered and commemorated this morning. In light of the supreme sacrifice that was made on your behalf. In light of the suffering that Jesus Christ endured for you. In light of the life that was laid down for you. In light of that. I beg you, I plead with you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, there's that word again. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In some versions, those words are translated, your your reasonable worship. Worship, you do realize, is really just a response, right? It comes from the words worth shift. It's shifting worth is what it is. It's ascribing to God the the worthiness of, of who He is. That's what we do when we come together and worship. And so when we come together and worship, we are essentially saying, in light of what you have done for us, in light of your incredible provision for our salvation, in light of that, we worship you and we praise you and we exalt you. And so Paul is saying, in light of what Jesus Christ has done for you, in light of what we've just spent some time this morning remembering and commemorating, In light of that, this is your reasonable response. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he goes on to say, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we know that he's not talking about something that we will do in the future. He says... Now, present your bodies a living sacrifice. One preacher said the problem with living sacrifices is they continually want to get off of the altar. And we would all probably have to admit that there are seasons and times in our life when we're more committed than others. There are times when we say, yes, I'm laying down my all. I'm laying my all on the altar. And then other days, it's like, not so much. Other days, if we were to be completely honest, we would say, I'm, I'm just giving half-hearted service for the one who laid down his life for me. Sir, two big truths I want you to see today. And if you're taking any notes there on the back of your worship guide, you, you, you see more blanks than anything. I want you to notice from our text today that sacrifice is far better, greater than our convenience. Sacrifice is to be more valued than our convenience. 
Now again, few of us know what it is to really and truly sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Now I realize that many of you grew up with very little. Some of you, your testimony would sound something like this. We were so poor, we didn't know we were poor. I, I recognize that. I, I'm thanked by the grace of God. I'm not one of those people. I did not grow up in a wealthy home. But I cannot truthfully say that I grew up poor like some of you did. I recognize that. And so as you look back at your life, maybe you saw where you did sacrifice some things. There were some things that others had that you never enjoyed. Maybe you had friends who, who had pretty extravagant Christmases, but you never had that. It was a big deal if you got, got one toy for Christmas. And so uh, some of us know what it is to sacrifice worldly things, but, but few of us know what it is to really sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Take our stewardship, for example, our giving. We're blessed people. We're blessed. Now, now by, by, by North American standards, I know many of you would say, I, I'm, I'm not wealthy. I am, I'm right there with you. I, I would have a difficult time saying, but do you realize by the world's standards, we're all incredibly wealthy? I don't care how little you have. By the world's standards, I guarantee you, you are in the top 10% in the world in terms of wealth. So think about our stewardship, our giving. I used to have a pastor, a group under Dr. Earl Little, who would say, we need to give until it hurts. I never fully understood that. Give until it hurts. The, the, the truth is this. Most of us know what it is to give as long as it's convenient. Here's the way it works for most families, in the North American church particularly. Our giving is something that we do if we can afford it. If we can afford it. The biblical pattern for giving is that we are to give of the first fruits. I recognize that you've heard the terminology, the tithe. It, it just means a tenth. We're not legalistic about the, the tithe here. But it's a starting place. It's a starting place. And some of you would be like, there's no way. There's no way, Pastor. You have no clue what our budget looks like at our house. There is no way that we could possibly live off of 90% of our current income. No way. The reason you say that is because you have never given sacrificially. I thought of this the other day in my own life. I stopped on the way to Dallas at a McDonald's and my daughter and I got a chocolate chip frappe thingy majigger at McDonald's. Now, I gave her my debit card while I went and used the restroom. And I came back and I said, how much were these two things? It's like six bucks. That's why I call Starbucks four bucks, okay? Because that's about what you're going to pay for a cup of coffee. We've grown accustomed to those kind of things here. In America. And you may not enjoy those kinds of things, but I guarantee you there are other things in your life that you enjoy that you could probably do without. But few of us know what it is to give sacrificially. What would it look like, for example, if this Christmas we spent 20 or $30 less on each person in our family and gave that money to missions? What would it look like? Well, what would it look like if we didn't have uh, quite the amount uh, 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 at Christmas that we normally have? 
And we gave that to a needy family that we know of. The simple truth is, here in America, we really don't know what it is to give sacrificially. I've talked to a number of people and they explain to me how their finances are done. They pay all their bills and everything. And when that's all finished up, they look and go, well, what can we afford to give to the church? Because in our minds, we're not thinking in terms of, I, I, I owe everything I could possibly give to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I really should, should that should be my priority. But what about our worship? You know, the Bible talks about us bringing the sacrifice of praise. The, the sacrifice of praise. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. The sacrifice of praise. I, I mean, we come together one or two, maybe three times a week, and we sit in a comfortable facility like this, and we've got all the modern conveniences associated with it. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's difficult for us to, 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 to make the correlation between worship and worship being a sacrifice. And yet we're to worship in a sacrificial sort of way. The sacrifice of praise. What about our witness? The simple truth is this. Most of us don't witness nearly like we should because it makes us uncomfortable. Might be rejected. I've got places to be and things to do and people to... I don't have time to share my faith with someone. It's not convenient. It makes me uncomfortable to do that. That's, that's the pastor's job. And that's the that sacrifice. is far greater than convenience. Service is far greater than comfort. Service is far greater than, than comfort. If you look again at Romans chapter 12 here, it says, I, I, I plead with you, I beg you in light of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, it's the least you can do to live your life for the one who gave his life for you. It's the least you can do. It's the least you can do. And yet we are masters at making excuses and coming up with reasons why we can't do so much. So many things that we know deep down in our hearts we really should do. It's, it's, it's your only reasonable response is what Paul is saying here. For what Jesus Christ has done for you. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't comfortable for Jesus when He laid down His life for you. So then how can you try to live out your faith in a convenient, comfortable sort of way? Service is far greater than comfort. Think of it in this context. Let me give you a closing illustration. Let's suppose that my house is on fire one evening. And uh, it's, it's engulfed in flames. And one of our local firefighters very bravely enters my home and he rescues me from those flames. What a bold, bold act of service. And we have people that do that every day in the line of duty. Our police officers, our firefighters, our civil servants. 
which by the way, many of them, if not most of them, will have to work at least some during the holidays while most of us are home enjoying family and all those things. But let's just imagine that one of our local firefighters comes in and he, he rescues me. He pulls me out of that burning house. Maybe I've got some smoke inhalation issues and all those things, but, but by and large, I, I come out and I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Well, two or three weeks later, some of our, our, our city leaders have decided that th- this individual needs to be honored for what he's done. He deserves some type of honor for his heroic efforts in going in and saving my life. And so uh, these city leaders, they contact me and say, Mike, you know, we, we know that you must feel incredibly grateful for what this individual has done for you. And so certainly you would want to be at this ceremony and, and you'd want to be a part of it. In fact, we would really like for you to be the one who bestows this honor upon, upon this uh, individual. But I say, um, you know... I, and there's a big game coming up this weekend. I, you know, Patriots and Dolphins and or Patriots and and and, and Broncos. And I really need to go get the chips and dip. And so I'm not going to be able to make it. People would be like, "What? What did you just say?" Wait, 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 wait a minute. We're we're going to honor a man who saved your life. But you're too busy with chips and dip to come and be a part of that? You, you, you mean you couldn't possibly clear your schedule for just a little while so that you could come and be a part of that ceremony? That, that you could give proper recognition to a person who has saved your life? We, we would find that there would be no words to describe that attitude. We'd be like, how ungrateful, how, how unbelievable. That's the best excuse you've got? You've got to get chips and dip for the big game? But check this out. There was one who came, and he gave his life for me. He gave his life for me. And yet I find it so easy to come up with excuses why I can't do certain things to honor the one who saved my life. The one who made the ultimate sacrifice for me. Why? Because so many times it's more a matter of convenience and comfort than it is service and sacrifice. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this morning. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. Laid down his life so that we could live forever. And yet far too often we find it difficult To stretch ourselves a bit. To sacrifice. To go the extra mile. Simply because it's not convenient. And it's not comfortable. I've often said as a pastor. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard an excuse. Well the truth is this. If I had a dollar for every time I've come up with an excuse. I'd be a pretty wealthy man. Are you willing this morning to be stretched a bit? 
even out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to sacrifice in ways that perhaps you never have? When was the last time you really and truly gave up something for Christ? For the gospel's sake, for missions, for the good of the body of Christ right here. All too often, it's a matter of convenience and comfort. Can we this morning just again thank God that He was not consumed with convenience and comfort? That He sent His Son to make the ultimate sacrifice? To experience excruciating pain and suffering on our behalf? Surely we can commit ourselves to live in radical obedience without regard for personal comfort or convenience to be living sacrifices to the one who laid down his life for us. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you don't know what it is to have your sins forgiven, to know that heaven will someday be your home, then we invite you to come. Would love to share with you, show you from God's word how that can be a reality. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about relationship. It's about you being in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Can we all make a commitment today to make fewer excuses in the coming year? And find more ways to sacrifice, to be stretched for the cause of Christ? In light of what Jesus Christ has done for you, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, the price that was paid. Lord, I pray that you would help us to lay down our lives for you in full surrender to sacrifice Lord may it be a fitting and proper response to what you've done for us we thank you and we praise you now in Jesus name we pray amen thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church we invite you to come worship with us anytime you're near We're located at 206 Marietta Street, Queen City, Texas. Visit us online at fbcqc.org.